Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. We've got the team here today. We've got Richard, Lisa and Laura back. And we wanted to talk about something really important because we're going through the leadership election and all this high profile sort of issues that come up with leading the party and being a figurehead. But actually our party's run and our successes are made by our unsung heroes, the people behind the scenes that don't get the attention that they absolutely deserve. So this episode is going to be dedicated to those people, people that have inspired us and the different roles that people do within the party that sometimes just don't get enough attention either. So, and this was actually Lisa's idea. So, uh, I mean, Lisa, over to you, really. What, what, who is your kind of unsung hero? So I'm going to talk about a friend of mine who died earlier this year. And she was called Mary Nuttall and she died at the age of 90. And Mary had been a, a liberal and then a liberal Democrat for over 70 years. And she was never elected. She was, um, she did things in our local party. You know, she was our president and, and for a little while she'd sat on the exec in different ways. But the key thing she was known for was her baking and her absolutely phenomenal pavlova. And Mary was a stalwart member of our fundraising and events committee and so she made sure that the catering was top-notch at our events because as everybody knows fundraising events are really important yes for the money that they bring in but primarily as a social event and as a way of, of making sure that you feel like a team and so you can act like a team when the time comes and Mary was a former head teacher so she'd been a teacher in the ward that I now represent. She'd been the first, the founding head teacher of a new primary school um, next to a council estate. And she was known as the NUT rep and she was known as quite a formidable person. She was quite waspish. And so you were never in any doubt as to, to how she felt about what you were currently doing or, or wearing um, or saying. And she was lots of fun as well. You know, she spent one Christmas with us and I miss her a lot. But the reason why she's my unsung hero is because she wasn't, lots of us who stand for election can veer towards the, um, quite liking the attention sometimes, but she wasn't like that. She would, she was desperate for us to win stuff and she was so proud when we did well and so disappointed when we didn't. Uh, and she was a really, really big part of our team. And so that's why Mary is my unsung hero. And through the course of this uh, um, debate, people who are watching and listening, we're going to talk about, like I say, some of the roles that people can do. So that, as Lisa said, we're talking about people who do the fundraising. You know, we've talked about the three uh, kind of pillars of a successful campaign being manpower, data, but also money. And, and, you can't, and, and these roles are really important for that. And Richard, I, I believe yours, your uh, uh, person that you want to highlight, it goes back even further. Uh, absolutely, but uh, also dead. I, I joined the party, which was then the Liberal Party, 53 years ago. I can remember the address, 72 Turpin Green Lane, Leyland. And uh, someone more illustrious than me joined at exactly the same place 17 years later, uh, and that was Tim Farron. And the person that lived there was a magnificent woman called Neva Oral. And Neva was one of two councillors, and they were very rare before 1973, uh, but two liberal councillors on Leyland Urban District Council. And this is at a time when there are about 50,000 principal councillors in England, and we had 330 of them. So to have a group of two was 
quite an achievement. She was the absolute embodiment of liberalism and activism. She was active in her ward. She was known throughout the whole of Leyland. She ran the winter and summer fairs for the Liberal Democrats. She turned up to a meeting. She had two suitcases with her. And uh, in the suitcases were things she could sell. Uh, her house was always open when I joined the Young Liberals. We used to have a fortnightly uh, meeting there. And she inspired her son, uh, Keith, who is actually now a Liberal Democrat cabinet member in York, was formerly the leader uh, on one of our councils up in the Northeast. So a magnificent woman in principle, uh, a hard worker for the party, for her constituents and her council. And she did all that at the same time as being a head teacher of a special school. Uh, and that's my inspiration. Sometimes I'm not going out again. And I think neither oral would. So I do. Laura, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated that both of the people you've mentioned are, are teachers and retired yeah. teachers, because I think one of the things, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this as well, but one of the things I really noticed since I got involved in politics is that like retired teachers are like a glue that holds society together. And like every time you go to a community group or like, you know, you're, the, the, the chair will sit down and they'll have this way of sitting down where like you instantly feel obliged to sit down, even though they haven't said anything. And you'll think, hang on a minute, this is another retired teacher. And like, I just, and you know, once you start no, noticing, you know, they're everywhere and it's, it's kind of incredible. And it does show what, you know, amazing people that we have, you know, running our schools, because they are the kind of people who retire and then have to keep giving back to their communities and keep going and like I, I you know it, it's really like every time it's kind of uncanny and um you know if I think about our amazing team in Sheffield you know there's people like um John Dryden my campaign manager and Amanda who uh, runs our office like and is the local party secretary and you know all of these people who are with a lot of them are retired teachers um, but the person I actually want to speak about is another teacher who is also retired, but was not at the time that the story happened, which was actually when I was at school. And um, I think I must have been about 10. And um, I was speaking to my history teacher, who's a man called Richard Martin. And he said that he was standing for elections in the local council elections, but he wasn't expecting to win. It was a thing called a paper candidate. And, you know, we all said, why would you stand for election if you're not going to win? That's silly. And he said that it was important for democracy because democracy doesn't work if people don't have a choice in who they vote for. And so he needed to stand so that people would have the opportunity to vote Liberal Democrat if they wanted to. And, you know, I don't remember a lot of conversations from when I was 10. Like, I can probably count on one hand the number of conversations that I had when I, that I, you know, when I was 10 that I can still remember. But, you know, this one was obviously something that I realised, you know, at the time, somehow that it was important because it stuck with me all these years. And that there are these people who, you know, without any expectation of any, you know, reward or any, you know, even much thanks, will keep doing something because they realise that it matters, because they realise that our values matter. And that you have to, what we do, it's not just about the party, it's also about, you know, democracy. And especially, you know, the act of standing as a paper candidate in a ward that you don't expect to win 
it's you know an act of such profound public service you know not only for the party but also for the voters in that ward because you know people in that ward or that constituency have should have the opportunity to vote liberal democrat even if you know even if they're not going to take it you know they should have that opportunity because otherwise democracy doesn't work and yeah so rich martin and um people like him i think are someone we all we all need to be grateful for and i think we, we see i had an i had an example as well who's <laughs> a retired teacher so i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not gonna use that now i it, it feels very because no, I mean, well, the, well the, the guy i was going to, uh -huh. to mention is if anyone who's known preston polish any time knows about alan hackett and he is the most unassuming lovely bloke you would ever think he was the counsel in my ward for 20 years before me but you wouldn't know every other second when he's not doing that he was helping a local charity or he was helping the local theatre group. He was an absolute stalwart who nobody maybe outside of press will know who he is. You know, he's, he's not, he, he was a, and I can remember nearly being in tears when he got made an alderman of the city um, a few years ago. And he, he's still alive and he's, he's, you know, he's mid eighties now, rang me up a few days ago. He's been shielding. And as soon as shielding went, he said, right, give me some leaflets. He still, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was that kind of guy. And, you know, if there's anything on anything he could do, he would want to do it. Um, but, but because we've used lots of examples, I mean, he was my inspiration. He, I could be like, you know, it's kind of the, the use of the old West Wing uh, thing. What would Leo do? This, my thing was, what would Alan do? That was it. You know, he, he, I, sometimes when I get enraged by something, you just think he was the most mild-mannered guy. He would smile at people. And then out, out, out campaign them and beat them on the ballot box. He, he, was, he, he was the perfect example of what I strive to be uh, as I live Dem. Um, but, but two other people I want to mention, two people that do really good roles that very few people want to do. First is our treasurer. Our treasurer is a retired accountant. I wouldn't want to do that job for all, well, for all the money, <laughs> literally. Um, and, you know, it's one of those jobs where no, it's like secretary. It's not no, in the Liberal Democrats' bank account. Yeah, right. yeah, to be honest, if you had all the money in the world, it would be an awful lot easier to be the treasurer. So. <laughs> that is true, that is true. But, you know, just, just d d someone who can take that hassle away from you. It's like, I mean, me and Laura were talking in a private chat about, you know, we're doing, talking about taxes. That's how exciting our private chats get outside of the, the podcast. But, you know, just de one less thing for you to deal with is the money and the regulations and having someone to do that is really important because we're all active campaigners for every hour we're doing stuff like sorting out the finances means we're not out campaigning uh and the other guy i want to talk about is dave nash who was the data officer for a long time uh in preston as well just someone doing stuff like the mark registers inputting all all that stuff getting lists together for polling day and now obviously he, he was on to connect to mini run very quickly just sorting out lists for campaigners to go out so all they have to do is take the phone with them go out and knock on doors uh, and, and again people it's so valuable just to give us enough time to go out and win seats and not worrying about the kind of admin behind um so so yeah so dave and mike are absolutely and those are kind of key people um but lisa coming back to you what other kind of roles do you think that we don't appreciate within the party as much as maybe we should so we have in Hazelgrove a phenomenal clerical team we have an operation that i think must be one of the best in the country and partly that's because of mary's cakes 
So she used to bring a Victoria sponge and used to see it as a badge of honour that she was the one that provided the cake on a Thursday. So we have clerical club, obviously not in lockdown, where our volunteers would come and there'd be always something to do, whether it was envelope stuffing or writing blue letters or some data entry or just, just whatever, bundling, whatever it was, there'd be some clerical. Because we had that regularity, it became a thing and it was a social event uh, for lots of people and, and Mary included her face was always a picture when one of our vegan members sylvia used to bring a cake mary did not approve of the concept of vegan <laughs> and her views were made clear repeatedly but um, all of those all the rest of us who enjoyed all sorts of baking were delighted to be in the office on a thursday so so clerical i think is something it's exactly the point you've made john about um we could all stuff envelopes probably, or the vast majority of us, but is that the right use of our time? So for those volunteers who are uh, better suited or more enthusiastic about knocking on doors, let's get them knocking on doors, not stuffing envelopes. And those people who um, don't want to knock on doors or can't or whatever, let, let's make use of them in whatever way we can. So it, for me, it's clerical. The other thing is not forgetting that all of us can contribute to some elements of what we do so we I think certainly all four of us and I'm sure people listening want a strong growing thriving liberal democrats it's not just up to candidates to recruit people to the party it's not just up to Neva Oral to have recruited people to the party um, my last Mary anecdote probably is how she and her old friend Stella so Stella was elected at 60 something Stella Humphreys and served for 30 years, so retired from the council in her mid-90s. And they were a force of nature, the two of them. Mary used to drive Stella, because uh, Stella didn't drive, and the two of them were a force of nature. And they recruited a couple to the party in the waiting room at the Coropodists. And this <laughs> is a, a story that both Stella had told and Mary had told, and Marjorie and Jeff, who they recruited, told for many years afterwards about how they never missed an opportunity to encourage people onto our team. And I think that's something all of us can do. It, you don't need to be the candidate, you don't need to be a campaign manager to recruit people to the party. And I suppose when you talk about recruitment, one of the things is actually dealing with members as well. Uh, and when we had the, the campaign organizers round tables, which we recommend all uh, viewers and listeners to go and check them out because they were very good and actually talk about you know the most successful teams are not uh don't have people doing a superhuman amount but actually spread these roles out you know actually have a diverse group of people actually doing a lot of things and then we're talking about actually dealing with membership you know that it's okay i mean i don't know i mean hazel grove and sheffield have probably got quite large memberships i mean uh, myself in preston you know a couple of hundred liverpool probably a little bit more but actually getting those people involved even if like say a small fraction of them can take on an extra role is really important but if you could have someone's role to try and get people to get into other roles again it, it makes your life so much easier now richard how what what do you, what do you think is one of the key element key roles that someone's doing behind the scenes in liverpool uh, well there's no doubt that uh, our membership and our data officers are absolutely key to this uh, so we're inputting stuff the whole time from surveys, questionnaires, uh, canvassing and door knocking in normal times, emails that come in, etc. So making sure all that is logged properly and legally uh, these days is something, I, there's just no way I could do it. 
uh, and, and also keeping in regular touch with the members. So every month I do a member's newsletter. That's different than ringing them. So our two membership secretaries, we split the post in Liverpool, rang up every member that we had a phone number for, which of course is the vast, vast majority of them, said, how are you? So the councillors were talking to people in their wars and they were talking to their members. But I want to just put a question to this distinguished panel of activists uh, here, is have we in some ways hollowed out the work of volunteers? So what did I spend hours and days doing when I first became a member? It was writing envelopes and stuffing them. Now we've got three people can keep our headquarters going all day and you don't need to rotate them. We've got someone printing off the addresses onto letters or envelopes or leaflets, depending what we're doing. Depending on the size, most of them go to an envelope stuffing machine. That needs one person to input and it needs one person to take them out and to bundle into roads or patches, whatever you're doing. So we got through 330,000 leaflets uh, all of which were addressed and about, I'm guessing, a third of them went into uh, envelopes with just nine people so that we could send people out to other constituencies. Most of our door knockers left us. But we used to bring people in up to three or four years ago, stuffing parties or writing parties, and those have gone. And so are we being too mechanised in Liverpool? Should we, instead of having, everyone, most people have a knit and natter. It would appear that in Stockport they have a stuff and chatter, but it's the same thing. Are <laughs> we missing a trick by being too clever and too mechanised? Discuss. That's a really interesting discussion, actually. And uh, I'll, I'll bring probably law in first words because I, I can, see, I can see because I need to gather my thoughts and think. I, I can see positives and negatives on both sides. So I'll let Laura because she's smarter than me. So she's probably got an answer off the top of her head. Oh, I'm just thinking I'd love to have a stuffing machine like a stuffing machine sounds great so you know I'd, I'd be happy to swap problems um look I think it I mean I think it, it comes down to know your local party and um you know we've had this conversation before about handwriting blue envelopes you know is it a good idea to handwrite blue envelopes because it looks more personal and um also because it you know is, is a way that more and more people can get involved on the other hand you know we can print them they look fine and um, it's a lot quicker and an awful lot easier and you know we have not we've been printing our blue envelopes for some time and have not noticed any electoral ill effects so and you can read the envelopes as well and you can read the envelope which is you know it, it's it's not essential but it is a nice bonus um so yeah we have this debate quite often um i i, I and, and for me it just comes down to know your local party so you know some some people you know we've had this debate and some people from other local parties have said well you know we have people who can't do anything else and this is a great way to to keep them involved like fantastic but actually you know we had one local elections where our blockage wasn't actually delivering the leaflets or door knocking it was that we weren't able to get them stuffed and bundled in time so actually you know if we're able to kind of streamline that process and kind of speed it up so that we can we, we're not being held back and not having people who are willing to deliver leaflets but their leaflets aren't ready um which i think is probably like the cardinal liberal democrat sin you know great <laughs> let's mechanize some more so i think it, i think it comes down to know your local party you know what your resources are and, and you know what you'll be doing instead because you know if it means that you're never going to see your volunteers because 
you only need one person to crank the machine, then that would be pretty sad. Um, but actually, if there's lots of other things that people can be doing and that enables you to kind of do more or to go and help other local parties, then fantastic. You know, that's great. Let's do it. Um, and then there's also, you know, there's also a kind of money versus time trade off as well. You know, if you can, if you are able to fundraise for, for sort of more machines, then, you know, great. Alternatively, you know, if you've got more volunteers and no money, then, you know, probably do more of it by hand. I think yeah. that we sometimes think that um, volunteers are free and I think we underestimate the amount of time it takes to manage volunteers and to yeah. encourage and incentivize and um, take the leaflets round to them to yeah. stuff <laughs> all of that yeah. and I think that for us we have a so most of the people involved in Hazel Grove are volunteers uh, we have some councillors who, some of whom would consider themselves to be volunteers, others not. And we have a small number of paid staff and the relationship is different with all of those because you are able to set objectives for your paid staff and you're able to have an appraisal in a way that probably wouldn't feel quite right with volunteers. So I think it, yes, I completely agree with Laura, as I so often do, that it depends, you've got to know your local party and work out what, what their needs are. And um, play to your strengths as well. I think going from zero to amazing is often quite difficult, but if you've already got a, a fledgling infrastructure that could do some really good clerical, you know, nurture that and see if you can crank it up a bit. And I think we give enough time, think, John, yeah. to think. I think it's also like, um, mm -hmm. think about what you can do, you know, what you can do instead. Like if you're not spending lots of time stuffing your envelopes you know maybe that gives you an opportunity to do a slightly fancier like leaflet drop where you do three different types of leaflet and then you interleave them all so like actually you know maybe you can do yeah. something that's like even better um because you don't have to have dozens of people coming into the stuff envelopes and instead you've got them interleaving you know different print you know different sizes of leaflet or something so i think there are there are kind of, you know, if you can, if you can take one thing out, then it doesn't mean that everyone goes home. It could mean you do even more campaigning because unfortunately it never stops. So you're not going to believe me, but that actually was the point I was literally going to make. Oh no, I'm make. really sorry. The automation kind of point of this is, you know, you know, whether that's an envelope stuffing machine or whatever else, which actually say, if it saves you one job, doesn't mean that you should actually not get those people together to do something else. Because as we all know, it's, and we've had a little bit of this with lockdown, atrophy from not doing stuff is very hard to reverse. And actually when people get used to not doing it, and you know, again, going back to one of my, uh, to Alan who kind of bossed my ward for 20 years, he was exceptional at keeping his deliverers going. You know, people who delivered leaflets for now must be about 30 years and who get kind of, who ring me up now and say, uh, it's, it's been a few weeks, uh, focus leaflet coming. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of people you want. And, uh, and so, but getting those roles for stuff that has lost is really, so if you're not doing blue letter writing, what could you do instead? Could you do like a phone bank session together or something like that? All the ways you can do it, and you know there are now more digital ways to reach voters. What, how can you use that going forward? And that kind of leads on to other roles we've got is actually the digital roles within our parties and how we then get the communication out, particularly in this 
point when you know lockdown is still in place for a lot of people uh, we're not out knocking on doors yet so actually having a good digital presence is something you can do and start working and whether that's getting your email lists right richard's talked a lot about the success he has with his e-focus and how much people are waiting to to receive it think and things like a social media does someone actually deal with your social media how many times and i don't know from the rest of the group does your local party put out a social media tweet or a facebook page announcement or something like that and then but vast people in your local party don't retweet it don't mm-hmm. do you have a system for getting your message out within your local party and i suppose a really good role that we've very luckily came on it was a chap who actually used to interview richard when he was a student at, in uh, liverpool university is now a, i don't know if you made him become a lib dem richard i'm not giving you that credit um but he was a, a journalist that's now moved back to lancashire um as he hunts for jobs and whatever else he's now come on board to do our press releases who and is it? give us a clue <laughs> who is it it's connor his name was connor kiernan uh, yeah. yeah and so and so connor has come on and in the last like so he got in touch with us we did this kind of uh roles thing i will show all viewers we i did produce this kind of chart of roles uh which i will make available to anyone any listener that wants it and it's all over like kind of aldc facebook ones but he took on board he said look i want to deal with the press if that's okay and so any stories we get, I mean, we all get the National Party stuff uh, that you can adapt for local purposes. But he has, in his first two weeks, has got us on Radio Langs and pretty much had us in two stories in the local press every week. Just, just by having someone taking the time and doing it. Uh, sometimes he has to chase up councillors that aren't answering. But that, again, a really good role for someone who actually doesn't want to be front of house but actually behind the scenes know of, knows about communications and marketing mm. uh, and and that and that's really helped us particularly at this time um, so question one is are we doing a skills audit to find out what people can do on the way that you just said because we've got uh, 450 members uh, something like that uh, I know what some of them do so I know what our data officer does he deals with data on a daily basis in a university what other skills we got we know someone's a solicitor so everything we're committing libel we ask him but i don't know what the vast majority of my members do and perhaps they'd like to be involved occasionally by ringing up saying could you help us with this one rather than there's three thousand leaflets could you get them out by tuesday i think this is such an important point that's richard that richard is making and i think it links as well with our need and our desire as a party to be really inclusive and really accessible so we shouldn't have barriers for people getting involved in the party so some roles are right for some people and and, and not right for everybody there are roles that you can do when the kids are in bed or when your caring responsibilities are, are taking a pause there are roles that are really physical roles that are not and you don't need to leave the house about and i think we as activists and as members of local parties need to remember that we need a range of things that people can get involved with and it's not just about delivering leaflets and knocking on doors there are different things that will suit different people depending on their circumstances so it's something that we've talked about doing and we haven't done it yet so um you know might not work i can i can come back and let you know um but sort of one of the things that we've been a bit 
sort of had a bit of trouble with with skills audits in the past is that um, people will come back with a bunch of skills and some of them it's really obvious like you know oh you do data great you can do some data analysis for us and some of them it's much less obvious how the skills that people have are kind of applicable to the local party and people don't really know which of their skills we're talking about so kind of one of the things that we've kind of talked about doing and actually maybe we'll do it with um, John's handy little uh, sheet of roles is actually going the other way and being like, here are some of the skills that we are looking for, or do you have them? Um, but looking, you know, really breaking down absolutely everything that we can, we do. And then at the end saying, you know, and is there anything else that you think might be handy? But, you know, do we have people who, you know, have particular expertise in, you know, in social media or in data or in law or in, you know, or in fixing things, actually, you know, people really good at fixing things. Because actually, if you can come in and fix like the folding machine, that's pretty useful. <laughs> Are you really good at DIY? Well, if so, you might be quite good at state boards. Like, you know, a lot of these skills, like people might not realize that, you know, actually being a DIY demon is a useful liberal democrat skill but it really is because you know actually like some of the places that I've seen our people get a state board up like I would never have thought of that you know, like that's a proper skill yeah. Yeah. and I think we haven't I know I started talking about cake with me and her legendary pavlova at the beginning but I think don't underestimate some of those other skills so making sure a committee room is properly catered so that the team is, is well fed but not so well fed that they need a good sit down and can't go out for a next for the next round of knocking up is a really important skill so we'll have volunteers who wouldn't dream of knocking on a door but would love to do a nice spread for a committee room yeah. we have a councillor who is not able to knock on doors or, or deliver leaflets anymore but you used to be a professional chef and uh, I can say if, if you don't have any uh, local councillors or activists who used to be professional chefs, all I can do is that I can suggest that you find one because they're am it's amazing. It's just amazing. You, know, you go to an action day. It's not formal ones. No, yeah, and it's, uh, it's like, you know, you go to, um, you know, it, it's, also, it's when you get to the middle of May and you realise like, oh, I'm going to have to get my own lunch this weekend. How am I going to manage that? You know, because you can't just go to an action day and rely on them to provide you with a great lunch. But a lovely story from my past is that the leader of the Liberal Party on Bradford Council always used to make a profit by selling his election address. So you think, oh, I wish we could all do that. But he was called, I hope I get this the right way around, but he was called Paul Hockney and his brother was David Hockney. So these election addresses used to get auctioned for a fortune. Now, I'm not saying you've got a brother who can do all this, <laughs> but perhaps you've got a retired art teacher, if we're talking about retired teachers. What are those skills out there? You can say, oh, I'll have a go at this leaflet. And they say, oh, no, I can do that. So I did, you know, we always used to do that. So those skills are there when you actually talk to our members. One of the things I do worry about, though, and I don't know how we get better at this is, you know, all of these things, you know, you can do if you're in an active local party and you have somebody who kind of reaches out to us and like, absolutely, we all need to be better at kind of enabling people to use their skills for the party. But I do worry about how poor we are at um, supporting people who are in local parties where you know it's not nearly as active to get involved and you know actually a lot of these skills are things that you can do from anywhere like some of it okay you know if you want to deliver a leaflet or knock on the door then you pretty much need to be 
in the same place you know okay phoning you can do forever but you know mostly you need to be in that place and you know the same goes for things like state boards or clerical you know you have to be there but actually a lot of this digital stuff you could be anywhere so you know how are we how are we kind of reaching out to people who live in you know let's call it you know um black holeville you know you live in black holeville and there's maybe three other liberal democrats but you know you join and you're young and keen and interested how do we how do we reach that person and i you know i don't know you know i I suppose you know if you if we knew the answer to that the party would be would be flying and we'd be fine but um yeah i i I don't you know it's it's a real problem and i don't know how we how we overcome it it's a bear of mine i think based on if you can join the party on one side of the road which is one side of the boundary and you get a completely different experience if your local party is active and thriving compared to the one over the other side of the road and i agree strongly with laura's point i think one of the things that we can do more of as a party is to strengthen some of our SAOs and AOs. So some of those organizations that John has been interviewing as part of the virtual conference that he's been running on the pod, I think there are there is always space for competent local uh, for competent officers in those. They need a treasurer, they need a chair to make stuff happen, they need people to actually do the things. I think as long as elections are run on geographical boundaries, though, there will always be a geographical element to to what we do and how we campaign. But I think Laura's right. We We haven't yet nailed how to give people a good rounded experience that doesn't necessarily depend heavily on where they are. I was I was very interested when we did the round the organizers round table uh, Mary Ranier Wilson was she's she's on one of the federal boards or I'm not sure which one it is was talking actually about ha- having some sort of volunteer progression and it's really instead of it being okay you start off doing leaflets then you know what you'll be a counselor and that's and that's kind of all you've got to kind of go for is actually having like a tree of progression so volunteer and you see it from really good voluntary agencies and charity agencies and stuff like that there is a there's a not a strata in terms of i'm more important than you but there are different avenues for people to go to get fulfillment and progress within within an organization and i think when we are like lisa was saying a lot of our uh, some of her counselors consider themselves volunteers as well because you know they've got jobs and, and family commitments and everything else actually having some sort of tree-like structure so it's not a one-size-fits-all i think it's really important to live terms. and if we're going to get past what dorothy thornhill said in her review about you know kind of insular little teams working out of london and actually we want our party to grow and flourish in areas like we all represent then we're going to need to get the, uh, the volunteers on side as well but do, is that what most of our volunteers want john I mean, in my ward, uh, I have more people deliver leaflets who aren't members than who are. Oh, but even yeah, the members yeah. love doing things in their patch, and they also run the church and do this and that. But their patch means every, everything to them. They don't, they don't want progression. But if people do, I pick up the point yeah. that should you say, oh, a, a volunteer is a deliverer. But if mm. we do the skills audit, what do you know about? What are you interested? What can you, can you do? then surely we can find a job for anyone around those three ideas. And that was the point I meant. If you're happy, like I said, like yourself, I've got people who aren't even members who have been delivering leaflets for me for 10 years, and that's absolutely fine. And if people just want to deliver leaflets or just, I am absolutely delighted with that, that is no problem whatsoever. But I think the fault is that we don't, if, 
And I can use my own example. When I first got active after I finished uni, uh, someone in the, uh, the local Preston party came round to my house to welcome me. I sent in my email, whatever, and just dumped some blue letters on me. Didn't ask at all what I wanted to do because I was really interested in policy and whatever else and getting more active than just uh, blue letters. But sometimes we just kind of think, okay, you're at the lowest rung, boom, there's your leaflets. When actually, if there's making sure people know, actually, there's you can do as much or as little as you want, it, I think is key. Perhaps we ought to do liberal lib dem badges like the scouts, like riso operator or <laughs> well, first class <laughs> deliverer or something. You terrible. joke, but Curtis and I did talk that, did talk about doing that, you know, and having like, you know, different stripes as well. So, you know, if you were able to print on the riso, you'd get your original badge. Whereas, you know, if you could like repair the riso, you'd get the stripe for your riso operator's badge, um, like okay. the scouts. Um, I should point out that we didn't actually do this. Ah, we spent right. a few minutes so talking about it you were in um, i don't think we were, sure we're in the pub we were in our office late at night printing and, and fighting with the riso so um this is the morally we were in the, the pub Dems emerging here john you're, you're, you're <laughs> i'm more worried about the provisional reaction. wing of the lived <laughs> like extreme leafleting <laughs> we were joking weren't we laura <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely definitely joking yeah. This does Excellent. segue nicely into the, the next podcast we're having, doesn't it, John? Or the one we're recording. Well, I, I'm very conscious. I think Lisa wants to come in because I do realise that Lisa has to go soon as well. Or was that just those two being corporate Kemp and, you know, and Commander Gordon there for the Live <laughs> uh, the, for the Commander! I don't know. They were running beavers or something. I'm not quite sure. But it was... Um, <laughs> No, I think let's focus on winning elections. I mean, that's always we all are. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. But it just, and I'm, I'm just so listening, so we're coming to the, the end of this, but like I say, I'll put um, a download link to these volunteer roles that I came up with. This was just off my own about this isn't like a kind of a, an official party list, but it was just something, okay, what can I, what can we offer people? I have no idea if their skills are in any way useful or whatever. It was a start off for 10. And actually, we, I've filled four of the roles already with people coming forward saying, actually, I could do that. Uh, so I'll put a link to that so people can download it. Um, but what Richard's alluded to is actually we have an episode coming up, uh, which we are recording next week, where we have uh, a Harvard professor coming on who's written a book about whether politics is a hobby and how many people see it as a hobby. Or do you treat politics as a hobby? Or are you in it to make change? And, it, and I, I've, I haven't quite finished his book by the time I, by the time we get there, I will have finished his book. Um, but it's an interesting thing that when you look at our members, when I ask this question, a third of our um, listeners and viewers thought that politics was a hobby. It wasn't really about making change. So that's something we've got to consider when these roles are. So, and again, one of the things we haven't talked about in this whole episode is actually making sure it's fun. If, if the vast majority, if it seems like a bind and people have got other things that you would like to do, because you're not going to become a millionaire by being a Lib Dem activist or counsellor, um, although you know, Lisa Smart's got that many jobs she might be, I'm not sure. Um, but um, Voluntary, John. Yes, that's true. <laughs> what about a comedian's badge? That might work. Well, yeah, well, I'm not getting that one anytime soon. Um, but yeah, but actually making it fun. Because if it's enjoyable, people will keep doing it. And again, the organisers roundtable said, if your person hates door knocking but is happy on the phone, don't force them to go on the door. Let them do them on the phone and they're going to enjoy it more. 
Um, but I no. I refer you to my earlier comments about cake, and that is the last thing I will say in this episode. There we go. If we can end all episodes with uh, cake, I think that that works. (laughs) It's always a good thing. But thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do let us know. Do comment. What roles do you want to see in the party that don't get highlighted enough? Is it someone who deals with social media? Is it someone that just deals with the membership letters or deals with the data? What are the key roles you think that don't get highlighted in our party? I would love to hear from you. By all means, do like, share, comment, all the things that you normally do. We want to thank so many listeners. We've actually doubled our listenership since lockdown began. So thank you to all those people who are new and have come on to the pod. Uh, We really appreciate it. You can listen to this from all your normal podcast providers or you can watch on YouTube and on Facebook now. Uh, So there's even more ways for you to to take in as much Lib Dem pod as you want. All previous episodes are on there as well. So thank you very much uh, and we'll see you in the next episode.